All right, the visions and the flames are finally over. <sighs> I can rest, finally. Wait, what's that sound? Oh no. Hey, it's Chase from On The Table Gaming, and today I'm calling in reinforcements to help hold the door as we discuss the onslaught of 2021 information. So today I'm joined by Brian Kerr from Big Top Gaming. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. Uh, I, I'm really excited to talk about what's going on in the 2021 update. Now, if you're just getting into A Song of Ice and Fire, you're trying to make heads and tails of, of what's going on. Uh, Brian makes amazing A Song of Ice and Fire content. And I, I know it's been a rough year for uh, gaming with COVID, but you are a, a huge producer of content and really amazing analysis on Battle Report. Are we going to have uh, any treats to that coming up? Yeah, so I've already kind of kicked off in an introduction to the faction identities that come with the tactics deck. I kind of kind of outline, you know, what I feel like a faction identity is kind of based off of and using kind of like the building blocks of the game, I consider the tactics deck to be really the foundation of that. So I'm going through those. So far, we've had uh, the Greyjoys hit because they were the most flushed out when we uh, didn't have all these tactics cards to work off of. And then uh, next up, I ended up throwing out the Free Folk, which unfortunately had changed by the time I had put them out. But, um, you know, next up, I think we're going with the Lannisters and we're just kind of we're, we're building up through that uh, I've definitely got plans for battle reports coming up it's uh, a song of ice and fire has always been something that I've been passionate about uh, big top gaming on YouTube almost started well not almost it did start solely based off of a song of ice and fire and uh, you know now that the additions kind of ramping up and we're starting to see kind of a lot of the um, releases thaw out for the game i'm extremely excited about it and i've been pumping out content like nobody's business i think i've got like seven or eight videos in the hopper ready to introduce to the community and try and help ease the transition into this new landscape for a song of ice and fire fantastic and it's always fun to get to talk to someone that i'm a big fan of so thank you so much for coming on and you know what we we are we got some capable hands here with brian but we've also brought in some big guns here with Fabio Curry, you might know him as the lead developer for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, and Michael Chanel, the lead game designer for A Song of Ice and Fire. Fabio and Michael, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, guys. It's always great to be here again. Um, curious to see Brian's thoughts on some of these things, and it'll be fun, the four of us. I'm just here because I like hearing Brian's voice. You know, never, never, never in my life have I ever had someone kind of refer to my voice as being buttery smooth and like ASMR-esque. But like, I don't know what it is about the Ice and Fire community. They just somehow really like nasally nerds talking through a pop filter. What I'm hearing is a Patreon exclusive where you can read like, <laughs> uh, you know, bedtime stories or something. I think that that is a fantastic idea. Reading the flavor text of the card. <laughs> How about this? I love this as a Patreon idea. Just getting right into it. How about Patreon exclusive? Brian reads a selected bit of text that I provide from the internet. Oh, that that sounds dubious. <laughs> I'm not not sure if I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm an easy sell. Oh gosh. Oh, but a song of ice and fire. Um, let's talk about this update. So, if people are just getting into it, what's going on with the cards and the app? If someone is is just kind of tuning in now and they want to get the new stuff, how do they go about doing that? Well, if you go to our a song of ice and fire page. You mm -hmm. can opt in to the 2021 update version of the app. 
right? That works both for um, Android and iOS. And with that, you'll get all the updated cards on your app. If you wish to wait until there are printed versions of these cards for updating your app, then you just um, hold still. And when eventually the final version of the app is updated, yours will, will be automatically. But I highly recommend that players do take a look at uh, everything that is to come and do opt in for what they're calling the beta version of the app right now. And please take a look. Uh, if you can link the the post that we made. Um, Absolutely. With, thank you. So make sure you check the show notes there. And in that article that came out on May 12th, it mentions that, you know, the uh, we wanted the releases to, it says we wanted the releases to coincide with each other. But unfortunately, we've been hit on the receiving end of a paper shortage in China. And I know there was actually talk in other gaming communities as well as how it's affecting box sets and things like that. So it just seems like it's kind of been this perfect storm. But it's exciting to get that digital content out in our hands so that we can start to, to mess around and play with stuff. So thank you so much for pushing that out. It is unfortunately one of those situations where, um, yeah, like you said, perfect storm. You know, shipping is just about getting back to normal, you know, some other delays. And then we have, you know, container issues, you know, that happen. But, OK, we can push through that. And then all of a sudden it's like, by the way, surprise, guys, paper shortage. And, you know, we even like tried outsourcing to um, other countries, you know, including U.S. and other local areas to print stuff out. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Initially, we can help you guys out. Great. And then we would get responses back of like, oh, hey, by the way, guys, there's this paper shortage going on in China that is causing ripple effects worldwide. So in some cases, even though we were looking at like other options, which are you know vastly cost, you know, much more costly and everything, the timetables would actually put them delivering after our initial order, even with the delay and everything. So, you know, we're still sorting all that. And that's a matter for like logistics and production and everything. But the point is that, you know, that was just another blow that hit us. And it's like, OK, well, you know, the the online updates are ready to go. We can go ahead and make this work. And that's another thing I want to mention out as well is that, um, you know, that's why the, the both the app versions are in beta formatting is because we know some people like to stick to the 1.6 stuff until things are officially available for purchase and everything. And that's why we had to do it in the formatting that we did. So people basically have to opt into the 2021 update, which you can roll back your app version. But the concern was that if we just mandatory rolled out the version, then say people wanted to just stick with 1.6 and didn't want to you know, print out anything or take any additional steps, well, we would be denying them that option. So here, this is the best uh, sort of compromise to give players who want to move ahead what they can and players who want to wait for a physical product to do what they want as well. And that's really thoughtful, I guess, because a lot of the community is from uh, a pretty diverse gaming background. Like we have a lot of uh, board gamers that have come into the hobby and, and people with maybe different wargaming expectations, people that really like the physical product. Uh, so maybe later on we can come back and talk about uh, maybe some some things people should pay attention to or watch out for. But let's jump right now into some initial reactions to things. So among all these updates, there's so much to talk about now, and that's going to be an ongoing thing I think for all content creators. We can we can really dive in and look at. But for now, let's talk just about some of the new units that were revealed in the update. Things that maybe we didn't see official cards for yet that now we know about. Uh, starting with the the House House Stark or the House Mormont she bears. So they have uh, Resolute Strike, so it's a 4 plus to hit, seven, uh, 7, 5, 4, 4 plus armor, 6 plus morale. And they've got this Order War Cry. The start of a friendly turn, the unit performs one morale test. On a success, target one enemy in long range. It becomes panicked and vulnerable, and they have Critical Blow, and they gain plus one to hit for each of this unit's destroyed ranks. It's so cool to see more like female representation on the table, and the, the She-Bears look fantastic. Brian, is this a unit that you're uh, excited to get on the table? Yeah, I'm actually super excited for this one. I think that um, 
the the Stark faction identity it has been dialed in quite a bit. And this this is definitely a unit that really fits well into that where, you know, working with less sometimes uh, equals better output for you. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of poo pooed the the Mormont veteran when it first came out. But seeing uh, this unit in conjunction with that particular attachment makes me really excited for seeing how this thing is going to work on the table. I think that, uh, you know, uh, oh, no, Chase is going to going to get yep. in now with that one. Um, <laughs> and a little jar where you put a coin in every time. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, overall, I think that uh, the war cry ability is something that we're seeing echoed out through a lot of the 2021 update. But I think that this unit really takes advantage of it because the Starks don't really mess around with morale too much. I mean, they've got a few things that are vicious here and there, but it is a big way to try and push some extra damage out in the game when the when the lethality has been kind of dialed back a little bit. And with that, it just means that these Mormont veteran or Mormont she bears are going to be hanging around a lot longer and really being able to make a lot of use out of uh, resolute strikes. Tip of the hat to you guys for how many ways can you come up with cool ways to push that stark theme of like like brian said doing less with more or doing more with less even and the idea of giving the plus one to hit for each of these units destroyed ranks you know that really captures that feel i i believe that that's one of the challenges that the stark faction is shaping up to to present us which is that we need to keep the stark identity at the same time we're releasing a lot of sub-houses, and that is part of the list-building theme for Starks, that they have these sub-houses and that they still synergize amongst each other, but they also need to remain distinct. So, it, yeah, it's it's getting a, a little bit trickier now to have all these things coincide, yet be different. Well, so far, you guys have really been nailing it and absolutely love it. One of the, one of the ones that really stood out here and um, I think are going to be big fan favorites is the Red Cloaks as well. Uh, and so these are Lannister units, and they have long swords at three, a three plus to hit, seven, five, four, four plus armor, six plus morale. But they've got fearless avarice. When you control the wealth zone, this unit suffers negative one wound from failed panic tests. So that's going to give them a little bit more resilience. And then they've got Lannister Justice, and there's been a lot of talk about this ability. While you control the crown zone each time that unit performs an action, before resolving that action, one enemy in long range suffers one panic test with a negative one to their role for each remaining rank in this unit. Uh, Michael, what sort of role do you see the Red Cloaks filling in like a Lannister list? Well, this is a unit that you take, you know, if you just want like something that's just decent like on the stats like it's got a three plus to hit which is you know uh, a stat of its own as we've talked about before in the previous yeah. updates otherwise across that you know its stats are fairly average across so you've got a four plus six plus five movement nothing really special there and then you have its abilities here that while potent are also sit on the the situational side and by that i mean that they innately don't do anything like you've got to be proactive in order to actually get them to turn on now granted with lannisters it's not the hardest thing in the world you know claim wealth or you know your crown zone here but that's still a allowing your opponents you know the chance to counterplay those or you've built around these with like something like joffrey or whatnot so while both effects are very potent you also look at this unit and go like well there are ways to work around it. There are ways to shut it off. And I've got to actively do things to get the most out of their abilities. This is, I feel, another one of those units where people look at maximum potential and start viewing that as the average, which is a very dangerous trapping for people to get into because it implies that your your plans are always going to work 100% of the way you want. And if that's the case, you're going to win anyway. So you know, that's just a very dangerous mentality in any war game to get into is assuming that everything is going to work in your favor. Yeah, yeah I've got the opposite problem. I feel like when I play, everything goes the, the other direction. <laughs> I'm like, man, I didn't get either the crown or the well zone. Like, that's improbable. 
I mean, if you plan for that, <laughs> I always feel that that's the better plan is assume something is not going to work your way. And then this next unit, the Freedmen, the Targaryens. Now, this is really fantastic. So the Asmodee store kind of revealed the sculpts for these initially. And there's a lot of question over like maybe what bases they would have or how would it look. And so they are fighting with improvised weapons. It's a three point unit, six dice, you know, one rank uh, to solo hits on a five plus six plus armor, eight plus morale. And what really makes them interesting is they've got six wounds and they don't give, you know, any victory points. They can't control objectives. And if they're not within short range of a friendly unit at the start of the round, the unit just gets destroyed. It's just taken off the table. And uh, they've got gang up so they can give plus one to hit and plus one attack on enemies they're engaged with. So these are like a quintessential support piece. And they're coming in at a really like a bargain, a bargain price. There's not a lot of three point options these days. What was the thought process behind designing these out? You know, was that the necessary gap that need to be filled because of all these Targaryen units that are quite expensive? Was this something that was designed like from the very start and we're just seeing it now? You know, how did these this unit come about? Oh, these exist from the very start of the uh, Targaryen faction identity and the creation. And when we were thinking of how to add them to the product line, right? They're still in the core concepts of what Targaryens should have. And they fit the faction in many ways. The first way in, in my mind is the flavor. It, it really makes sense that you have these freedmen helping Daenerys out. That happens in the story and that can be represented in the game as we see here. So. I think that just the fact that they exist is already a very positive addition to the game. And consequently, how do we represent uh, a basically non-combatants that are picking up weapons, right? And how would they differ from other situations such as the poor fellows? Because we could have just made them as similar to poor fellows, right? But that wouldn't really fit the Targaryen identity and they don't have all this sort of like faith mechanic uh, mm -hmm. applied to them. So we made them a cheap, a cheap support piece, right? Technically, that's what they are. But once again, your, your opponent has to spend at least an action to get rid of them with an attack or something. And they really fill in well the gaps in list building. In general, I'm I'm very happy with what we achieved here. I mean, really here, what you have is a unit that if your opponent is, you're going to get buffs for unless your opponent actively spends resources to get rid of. And this is just something that your opponent's not going to want to have to spend resources on. So, you know, while they're not the hardest thing to get rid of, it's still taking away resources, whether it's going to be an attack or, you know, spending tactics cards in like a crown zap or something. You know, these are things that could have gone somewhere else to actually remove a real threat in the Targaryens. But instead, they're having to be devoted toward taking down freedmen. Or if you don't, then they're either going to tie up other units, much more expensive units, or they're going to just sit around and give that gang a bonus, making the actual deadly units all that much more deadly. What I'm trying to figure out is it, what's the, the most number of these units I can fit around a friendly unit that doesn't have the untrained masses keyword can i be like this is my one unit that moves super slowly with a bunch of like rabble around it um it'll be some some interesting experimentation you see but that's the difficulty because then you're putting a target on that unit's back right and as, but come as on, soon as that guy's gone running around with a bunch of uh, people running around i mean come on that's so cool or just a dragon oh yeah well, Dragon would imply that you're having to take Daenerys. Jorah, you could take on his own. So theoretically here, you could make a 39-point army that is all three points of Jorah leading a giant horde of freedmen. But the second Jorah 
the second Jorah goes away, you just lose the game. And also you have one unit, a.k.a. Mr. You know, Mormont himself, that can control objectives. So, again, this is going to kind kind of fall down into the whole, like, coulda versus shoulda thing. It was a fun while it lasted here. Brian, what are your thoughts on the Freedmen? I think the Freedmen introduce a, a concept in the game that I think that the 2021 update is kind of pulling away from that was really prevalent in 1.6, and that's the peace trading game. So A Song of Ice and Fire in 1.6, the lethality was cranked up quite a bit. I mean, this was the world of uh, the, the, the full attack stat of 10 dice with Unsullied Swordsmen and Umber Berserkers getting up to ridiculous amounts, and the Tully cavaliers being able to one shot basically anything they wanted to in the game so with the lethality and ice and fire getting teamed back a little bit to kind of make the game a little bit more tactical and a little bit more um you know mentally invested or investive i guess uh for for this new update i think that the freedmen offer a really interesting thing in that the the cheap activations aren't so prevalent in the game anymore so doing something like bringing those unsullied and then escorting uh them up to the middle of the table with the freedmen means that your opponent needs to deal with those freedmen in order to get to your more dangerous units and as michael had touched on that's not something that they're really likely to want to put a lot of effort into doing and the stats on these they aren't super great but with the wounds the defense save actually having a defense save and the morale stat being just below average it does mean that your opponent could just be a little bit more uh confident in going to these and saying i can take this out no problem and they might come up just a little bit short maybe 45 percent of the time and or maybe probably more like 35 percent without crunching numbers but that means that you're going to get a huge advantage in the game by being able to make sure that you're tying up your opponent and allowing your really heavy hitter units to get into the into the game a lot uh more safely so i think the freedmen in the targaryen list specifically especially when we start looking at like the unsullied uh builds uh are an amazing addition for the faction and i think a lot of targaryen players are going to be really happy to see what this can do for their armies and then on the flip side the fantasy element of it right of just seeing these things on the table spread out with your troops is going to look fantastic and i can't help but notice as a history teacher that the uh the art on this guy he's got a very uh very iconic set of facial hair here it looks uh, a very uh 16th president of the united states ish so that's that's an interesting art piece as well could say he's the great emancipator and uh let's let's move on here and talk about hedge knights so we've got a, the neutral unit here now hedge knights i mean if you think of a song of ice and fire and the broader properties associated with uh hedge knights feature um heavily and so it's cool to see these units being brought in here and one of the things that's really cool about the hedge knights is not only the main unit but the attachments as well and the different styles of play they can support so as its base unit, the Hedge Knights are a cavalry unit, and they've got Knight's Blade to Sundering Attack. And if you control the attack zone on the tactics board, before rolling attack dice, the defender becomes vulnerable. So you can kind of pump up their damage output there. Uh, they've got Loyalty through Coin. While you control the Wealth Zone, the unit gains plus one to the defense dice rolls and plus one to morale test rolls, effectively increasing their defenses um, into that you know three-plus range. And uh, their Knight's Blade, they're hitting on 3-plus with 7-4. So a really cool uh, additional unit to bring in here. Is it ever challenging trying to figure out how to balance, you know, cavalry pieces that you know are going to be able to be fielded across a wide range of factions? I think the hard part there is the fact that it can be fielded in a wide array of factions, mostly. 
I mean, not all, right? Because we're missing our, <clears throat> our uh, free folk here, but, but uh, all those other factions, I guess. Yeah, well, just the important <laughs> ones, right? Oh. Yeah, free folk are still in the game. Didn't they get FAQ'd out? Oh, man. Mm -hmm. someday, someday free folk, or, or someday the neutrals are going to accept animal furs as currency, and then we'll be fine, Chase. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, we digressed. Uh, Fabio, continue on. So the, the cavalry aspect is always a challenge, but I think it's a challenge that we've learned to deal with. The the neutral aspect is, well, we also did learn to deal with, but is the tricky part there where we have to cross-check them not only as opponents, but as units in every army, right? So they require a little bit more processing. But once again, I think they present interesting options. And the fact that they really depend on the zones to to reach their maximum potential really makes them more adept to some factions rather than others. Now, somehow we have to get a hold of Duncan Rhodes and get him to paint up a Duncan the Hedge Knight miniature. And uh, that this has to happen. I, I hope so. Yeah, I don't think there's a world that exists where it can't happen. Like, like <laughs> somebody, somebody get this man on the phone. Do we need to like start a petition to change.org? How do we how do we do that? I don't know. I have a way. You have a way. Uh Oh, that was ominous. <laughs> what have we done? And we also have it comes as attachments as well. And you've got the fortune seeker and the glory seeker, and they can, they can provide really different play styles for the units they, they can go into. The fortune seeker, they're both one point attachments, but the fortune seeker gives dauntless. So every time it passes a morale test, the unit restores a wound and motivated by coins, you get that extra attack action when you claim the well zone. And then the glory seeker has rally cry, which lets you, before you perform a melee attack, target another friendly unit in long range and restore wounds to it. So you could have a, a pretty mobile you know, support piece healing other units or a unit that's got a little bit more hardiness in terms of regenerating wounds and getting a little bit more offensive output. So it's really cool. This is like a pretty bargain set to get. You get a lot of play style out of this one purchase. Yeah, it does open a lot of gaming options. And uh, I really like the fact that we now have neutral cavalry attachments because I think that was something that, once again, this is tricky to do, but we finally achieved a product that fits the whole line and that almost everyone can use in, in their army. And then we've got a, a bunch of really cool Baratheon stuff for Stannis. Do we have any favorites or do you guys want to divide this up? We got the, the Roller Queensmen and the Kingsmen. Fabio, Michael, would you want us maybe speak to either of those? I am pretty much under the, uh, the delegation now that if I say anything about how I actually feel about Stannis, the internet just collectively <laughs> <laughs> gets angry and like you know the the red line just starts creeping upwards so i am going to elect to pass uh use my once per game pass here to uh send this over to brian and or fabio so i i'll, I'll pick this one up i know that uh for for those of me whoever you know have interacted with me in the social media space i once took a picture of a urinal that said sanus and i just the the the, the caption underneath was sanus bathroomian and that's kind of that kind of like encapsulates my <laughs> thoughts on Stannis, really. But uh, the Relore Lightbringers, I, of all the things about Stannis that I enjoy, you know, I, and which is very little. So for myself, I really enjoy the Relore stuff for, for Stannis. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he's not my favorite character for sure. Like, I'm very much a, a Renly supporter. But honestly, like, I'm more of a Baratheon United person. 
that if you put all like if you just fusion all three of the brothers together, you get like one decent person out of them. So the Relore Lightbringers really attract me because the the faith based mechanic that uh, Stannis can bring on his side of things is really interesting to me. So when we look at the stats on these guys, they've got a long range attack on their fire arrows that has a seven six four decay that hit on threes. That's super duper amazing in terms of ranged output. They have a really small decay on the beginning, and they're still hitting on threes. So when they're at that last slot where they're like at that average fours for for uh, ranged attacks. Uh, they're still likely to hit a couple of those at least and still do some damage. Their melee attack on daggers isn't anything to write home about, and that's fine for ranged units. But then their uh, defensive stats give them a 4-plus defense save, which is really good. That's average. The morale stat allows them to interact with a lot of the faith-based stuff that Stannis is bringing with him. When we look at the fire arrow's ability itself, it's got vicious. So ranged vicious, you could have stopped right here, and I'd be all in on this, especially at 6 points. But then we go on to see that if the defender fails that panic test, uh, target one other enemy within short range of that unit, and they also suffer one panic test with minus two to their roll. So this unit has a lot of uh, uh, variability, or it, it kind of gets its pick of the litter for um, for targets, right? You can kind of hone in at this 14-inch threat range what things have the uh, lowest uh, morale to be able to force them to fail this because you're likely you're very likely to hit and at least get to that point so being able to trigger that panic test roll and then shovel another one out within short range you know that the the table for ice and fire isn't that huge i mean four foot with uh five and a half inch trays i think sideways you're likely to have a lot of things that are quite close together so you should be able to throw out many panic tests and get a lot of wounds from a far distance away and make sure that the rest of your faithful stuff or your relore faithful stuff stuff can start doing tons of work on units that are already kind of lagging behind with this unit having such an immense threat. See them killing lots of free folk. That's, that's what I'm afraid of. Well, they can also uh, do things that are hard to do as well. Oh, oh I get it now. <laughs> wow, that was, a, that, was a, that was a burn. Come on. That's on theme there. Out of the, the Kingsmen and the Queensmen, uh, Fabio, do you have a preference? I think I kind of prefer the Roller Queensmen, but which one do you prefer? As a Baratheon fan. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say the Rillor Queetsmen, they do bring in a, an advantage, which is they bring in the Rillor keyword, right? And that already is giving them um, just splash synergy for free if you take other Rillor stuff, right? So that's already something very interesting. They are similar where the Queensmen take a more defensive position and the Kingsmen take a more offensive position. Right. So it's really a matter of how you want to use your army and whether you need a hammer or an anvil, right? And what really differs in them, a, a, apart from how they attack and defend, right, with the Queensmen having a three-plus defense save and the Kingsmen having one more attack die at two ranks and sundering. But what makes them unique, essentially, is the cards that they can draw through Kingsblade and Queensblade. And out of these... I think I prefer being able to draw ours is the fury, but that's probably my play style where gotcha. I, I am a little bit more reckless, right? I believe that with Baratheon conviction and Baratheon justice, right? That can that, take you a long way through through attrition, right? Yeah. I think maybe I favor the attrition piece a little bit. It's one of those fun things where like the, the Queensmen almost remind Stannis that he's a Baratheon because when you look at a lot of the faithful stuff and especially the, the Kingsmen here, it, they kind of are really putting out that more aggressive 
standpoint more so than the defensive one. So having something like the Relore Queensmen not just lets you play around with that faith mechanic, but it also gives uh, Stannis a really unique anchor unit that's not just, you know, piling on more Baratheon Warden. There's not only these units, which are kind of the new ones we hadn't seen before, but there are a ton of updates spread across all the units, and we're going to have a lot of fun kind of digging through and examining all those. But, or I guess I should say, and now that the update is out, now how's everybody feeling about this? Is that like a sigh of relief? You're like excited or are you guys already plowing ahead into new things? So I know for myself, the the minute that I saw the tactics card PDF documents pop up on the Coolman You're Not website, I was the I was on it and I took all the PDFs, printed out the cards right away because I'm not going to wait for the the faction pack updates. I'll play out of the app. I will use the physical cards because, uh, you know, I'm living in rural Wisconsin, we're a little bit more, well, not more, but we definitely can. Uh, there are some people that I consider my in my bubble that I will play games with. And since I play all the factions, I want to dig into all of these. So I, you, my printer couldn't start up fast enough to print these out. <laughs> so um, I am equal parts excited and overwhelmed at the same time because there's so much new stuff to absorb. And, uh, you know, the we've we've kind of been fed this idea that the addition isn't actually kicking over to something that's like a 2.0 impact because the, the the rules that have changed within the core like framework of the game haven't been all that intense they've just been minor tweaks to make things work a little bit differently or more conducive to kind of what the rest of the cards are bringing and a lot of the changes in this edition are really coming from just kind of reworking a lot of these other models attachments and tactics cards and uh, it, it takes a little while to absorb it all, but I am uh, so excited and really jazzed to get back into all of this stuff fresh and and kind of rediscover the game again. Feels like it's a little bit like a holiday, right? We're like waking up early and like opening presents or something. At least that's what it's like for me. I'm digging through like, oh, what's this? Like, oh, what's that? Or like, you know, you're I'm like trying to list build and I'm just like my mind's reeling. For a developer and a designer, is it the same sort of thing? Or are you like kind of the parents there with like your bathrobes on, your hair's all disheveled and you're you're sipping your coffee? Coffee being like, hmm. I'm going to go ahead and unfortunately for the second time in a row, no comments on that one. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I thought I wouldn't be as excited as I am, but once you finally look back and you see how long we've been working on these changes and how much time and effort we dedicated on this project, I, I really hope that people will, will uh, appreciate the changes, let's say. So I'm I'm actually this time feeling hopeful, which I, I usually try to avoid, but I, I am. <laughs> and let's say that what I really hope is that people play, let's say, like three to five games and then forget that there was actually even a change at all, right? This, this is supposed to not really be a, a 2.0 or anything of the likes, right? This is uh, 2021. And these are minor quality of life changes that we've done to the rule book. And uh, luckily, we had the chance to do minor quality of life changes across the board in most cards. But it, it's still supposed to be the same game. When, whenever there's a big update now, you know, between Michael and Fabio and Brian, you've got a wealth of experience in gaming. Whenever there are updates to a game or even just like standard unit updates or, or tweaks, what are some common traps that people should watch out for? Are there any things that, you know, maybe aren't? conducive to um you know even in the way we are, aren't conducive to having like a healthy discussion of the game or are, are kind of like logical fallacies or traps that people can stumble into 
when they get a bunch of new cool things and they are familiar with maybe, you know, for example, the the 1.6 version. You know, uh, for me, I think there are there are two big uh, massive pits that people can fall into when addition, not addition changes, but changes in games happen in general. And I think the first one is kind of more of the emotional reaction because, um, and this kind of happens more so with mini wargaming than anything else. Uh, maybe a video game that you've poured tons of hours into. But uh, mostly in Wargaming, not only do we have a deep connection with the models because we have to have like that that initial like, I see this thing and I want it because it's attractive to me or it, it resonates with me. Then you spend many hours painting it and planning out what you're going to be doing for that paint job and then basing it. And then once you play it, it's like all the cool things that that unit has done, you remember, you know, it's really fresh in your mind. And every time something happens to that unit that's unfortunate, um, uh, in the game, at least, you always uh, mourn their 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 loss or their underperformance. So we get this emotional connection to some of these models, and I think that what happens is some people they lament the the passing of old rules that they've really connected deeply with. And I think that um, when it comes to these kind of changes where where uh, units are kind of evolving a little bit, um, you really just kind of have to think that this is just an opportunity for you to create some of those new stories and fall in love with some of those models that might not have seen much play because you've really been honing in on this one thing that might be, you know, a, a super huge performer. So it gives you a lot of opportunity to, uh, you know, kind of rediscover your, your passions, right? And I think one of the other things that... Um, that people can fall into a trap of is kind of building or thinking about things in terms of what they've lost, you know, and maybe this kind of really fits fits into the same category as lamenting your your models uh, passing. But um, I think the nerf is like the biggest four letter word in gaming, especially when we I, look at change this huge because no nothing in the game is actually really getting nerfed. They're just kind of existing in this new universe. So it's almost like they've kind of evolved into this new state of being. And as long as you have that kind of mindset, nothing in your faction is getting beat down or getting put into a place where it's unplayable. Like Michael doesn't want that to happen. Fabio doesn't want that to happen. And the company doesn't want that to happen. So, you know, they're, they're just kind of the things are getting redefined and reshifted to kind of help you, you know, understand how they're going to be working in the in this new environment that they've kind of walked into it's like a walking into a fresh new garden you know there's there's tons of opportunity here i feel like a lot of times it's exactly what you were saying and and it's, it change can be hard and i think this is a great opportunity to remember like the power of words like and versus maybe but where it's like oh but my my unit used to do this it's like yeah your unit used to do this and you know now this does that let's like we can hold both these things you can hold and cherish the older memories you have and you know like you're saying make room for these new new memories new experiences new stories as you're playing your units and you know maybe if you catch yourself if you're ever having a hard time with addition change you know maybe watch and, and catch yourself and see you know is it maybe kind of a language way the way you're approaching can you can you work to maybe have this dialectic and hold both of these ideas and maybe the feelings that go along with them as you as you go through your, your this new wargaming experience i saw on one of the online communities someone asking a question about a card and they posted the card and this was just a day after we released the the printable tactics cards mm -hmm. and someone else just answered with the new card and the person that said thank you i completely understand what this card does now so <laughs> i was very glad with that and i believe that my biggest advice would be just play games. The more matches you play, um, the more you'll notice that this is the same game and everything 
will just seemingly pass and you'll create these new stories like Brian said, which I really found inspiring, actually, his words. So, uh, Fabio, I just have a question for you and maybe Michael to this extent, too. About how many times do you think from a playtesting perspective or maybe once you've solidified a model, how many times do you feel like you have to put that on the table in order to feel like you've gotten a grip for what it's supposed to do or how it fits into the into the faction or the game in general? Uh, that's a tough question. I can't really give you a solid answer. We we play enough times, right? Some units may differ from the core faction identity. They will require more games, right? But um, the answer would be until exhaustion, right? Until we're <laughs> we're more than sure that something is fitting. And even then, we're probably wrong, right? So then we test a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no, like, certain level where things just, you know, oh, yeah, we have to test it 10 times. And after that point, yes, that's when it's ready. Because, you know, every situation is different. Because you really, there are two extremes on the spectrum there. One is there's a something that's reinforcing the faction identity, in which case you have a certain parameters that you're looking out for. Like, does it do too well? Does it have existing overlap with current things? Does this have a unique place? Then you have the fringe things, which are, you know, this does something completely different from the existing faction identity. Okay, well, how does that actually interact? Does this break things? Does it, is this a strategy that I'm going to be worth taking? So, you know, everything has to be taken, you know, individually, and that's going to lead to just a different testing window on all of those. I mean, there are some times where you'll try different units, tactics, cards, or stuff out there, and like, okay, this clicks, this just works. Very rarely. Does it ever, like, does that ever just happen? You know, this is like someone, like, you know, if you're building a, a piece of technology or a computer, you kind of expect the first time you try to turn it on, it's not going to work. But sometimes it does. And that's actually more shocking than anything else. It's like, oh, okay, what am I missing here? But sometimes <laughs> it just, sometimes it just works out. But more often than not, you know, you have to go through your revision cycles and everything and just, you know, and there's always things that can come up at all stages of those. And it's different for everything. So, you know, that's that's unfortunately one of those things that, you know, while I would love to have this great mechanical process where it's just, you know, we put a we create something and then all of a sudden after enough cycles, the machine just turns out a finished product. That's just not how it works. You know, it's just like any artist out there, you know, that's digital and whatnot. You know, there is unfortunately no make art button on, you know, Photoshop. Yeah, I know it's sometimes that's the expectation is, you know, just like, well, just go in there and hit the make art button, you know, and then just get it done. Like, uh, OK. And it's a war game that's going to have iterations and grow and change. And and these will not be these are not the you know, it's not 2020 update and then you're never coming back. Like there'll be things there'll be updates. You know, originally you talked about having a long like a 12 to 16 month cycle. Like, I don't know if that's still on track, but it's a it's a fluid state, right? Um, Yeah. Even on top of that, for example, let's say Stark Sworn Swords, they're literally the first unit ever released, right? <laughs> Technically, because they're in, in the Stark vs. Lannister core box. Um, could you say that they have stopped being developed? Because eventually we we got to them in, in the 2021 update. So right. even things that have been released are technically still on our pipeline, right? We're, we're still always as sort of like quality assurance that's part of development double checking anything and checking not just communities, but having our playtesters um, redo done things because that's really what a lifestyle game is all about. And it's a living game. So um, even if there were no mistakes, there's always room for improvement. I mean, all aspects of the game are constantly looked at. Um, you know, this is this is a mentality that I see some people pick up. And, you know, this is it just it's just one of the ways people view things. You know, they think that just because, like, for example, when the Greyjoys came out, you know, they are under the impression that like, oh, Greyjoy's got all the focus for this last year. So, you know, Starks and Lannisters didn't get anything. But that's just simply put, not the way things work. You know, every faction is evaluated all constant time. 
yes, a faction that's like being developed from the ground up will get a focus, but that doesn't mean that like, you know, when we come out with release waves, like, oh yeah, we've only been looking at Greyjoys and that's it for the last, you know, year. I mean, I think that's evident by the fact that you are seeing new units for Stark and Lannisters. And this kind of cycles back to that whole, you know, when is a faction done talk that came up in the first like a uh, year or two of the game's lifespan. Yeah. where They're like, oh, you know, there's only going to be 10 <laughs> units for each faction and then they're I done. That. Like, that's news to me. I I don't recall when that happened but <laughs> you know when people well, said that we were making unit 15 already right or something <laughs> like that yeah yeah it's just you know okay cool i mean you know it's like okay well i guess that's how it is i mean crap i guess we only have like remember we only are, we're only gonna have eight factions which really puts a damper on the plans that we have currently and each faction is only going to have 10 unit boxes which means we've already failed at that so i just i just don't know anymore I don't know. Since Michael said that, like, for example, oh, we're releasing Greyjoys, they got all the focus in the last year. Let's even suppose that they did, right? Uh, are we just playing Greyjoys against Greyjoys? You're still pitching them against other factions, right? And that in itself is also playtesting, right? You're getting these reports, you're crossing these numbers. But obviously what Michael also meant, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please, is that apart from that, we're still pitching, let's say, the old and previous factions against each other as part of the development cycle as a way to keep aware and sharp of everything that's going on. Well, and I think the, the the thing that I was hammering down on with that question that I think both of you really answered quite well is the, the getting back to new things. It's you. It takes a lot more than just putting this thing on the table once or looking at the card once to really understand what it does and how it fits into the faction. You know, I think that happens a lot with players when they end up kicking into these newer, like these updates, right? Um, they they take a look at something and it's always like it's it's a you know sight on or sight scene. It is either amazing or crap, and then they just move on. And maybe they put it on the table once and say this isn't good. They don't do anything to change the way they were playing or evaluate what they did during that game to make them feel like this forming well and i think that a lot of uh introspection and mindful uh engagement with what they're doing in the game is a good way to try and react to some of these rule updates so uh it's very important to not take these things and just run them through one game and be like okay well these relore faithful did not perform so they are clearly not worth playing anymore yeah it's, it's that kind of black and white or like binary thinking or or that it's like rushing to a answer right where sometimes it's a little bit more nebulous or, or fluid uh, out of all the stuff that's come out here then what are the biggest changes you're excited for or maybe some things people may not notice i know something that i saw that i was excited about from a giant spain <laughs> <laughs> yes that too it goes it goes closely with that brian was there anything a change or a, a unit that you liked or a thing that maybe you saw that maybe people didn't notice might not notice but, so i think the most overarching thing or overarching thing that i really appreciate about the update that's happened right now is I think that each faction has really had its flavor dialed in. I think that you could probably say, you know, I think Free Folk is one of my one of the best examples and Targaryens are up there too. But um, previously, I think that the Free Folk kind of had this idea that, um, you know, they, they had this horde mentality thing going on. And I know that's kind of like the four letter word of ice and fire as well, because I don't think the game actually works quite that way. 
or at least in 1.6. But the the tactics card themselves were kind of like maybe when the stars align, this is going to be really cool. But a lot of times it just felt like they were maybe a little bit more disjointed and not so much of a cohesive practiced army. But in the 2021 update, I feel like coordination is their thing. Like it takes a village to beat an army type of deal with the free folk. And that really kind of that really comes across in the way that their uh, their their faction deck or their tactics deck has kind of presented itself in this 2021 update. And that goes that speaks volumes to the rest of the factions as well. I don't think there's one single faction out there that has had their, you know, of course, they've all had their tactics decks redone, but every single one of them feels like their faction identities gotten a lot um, more tight to what we as ice and fire fans really think of when we when we come up with these uh you know what would their what would the theme around this faction look like uh you know whether you're a lannister person or a baratheon person that tactics deck when you look at it and play it on the table you're like yeah this is exactly what these guys would be like and i think that's probably the most exciting like umbrella change that i'm that i am really enjoying in the uh the 2021 update in terms of units this is kind of a a toughie for me because like i said I, i play every single faction in the game so I, you know, they're, they're all almost like my children. I didn't, I didn't raise them, of course, but you know, there, I, I, there's no one that I throw, throw uh, up on the shelf and say, you are not leaving this spot ever. But I think one of the things that I'm most excited to see is Jamie Lannister is, is ridiculously good. He's kind of, he's gone through a ton of changes and I feel like sometimes maybe like in the early days, the mark was a little bit missed on him, but with the tactics deck being redefined and the way his, uh, the way the rest of the faction kind of changed around him too, not around him, but just kind of changed. I think that he's one of the commanders that many of us are looking forward to putting down on the table, especially with those red cloaks around the corner, because I think he does amazing things for them. Bobby, how about you? Anything that uh, you're excited to see people play or be excited about, or maybe things people might have overlooked that they're flipping through frantically? Um, I'd, I kind of want to say all of it because I believe this is one work and one piece that we made. That's cheap. <laughs> by, by evaluating everything in unison, I, I believe that it's it's a whole thing. And I really want people to play with everything. But if you really want to put me on the spot and get me to say a specific unit or character. Besides Tormund, you know. I, I, I'd say, <laughs> okay, Tormund Giants. But no, just joking. <laughs> but I'd say the Targaryen faction just because of the way I think that we honed down and established their finally their core faction design and identity, which before I think was a little bit misrepresented. And and now we, we reinforce this thing that they're very different people with different agendas. But instead of doing that through only the units, we found a way to do that through the commanders. So yeah. I believe that the Targaryen commanders in general deserve a second look you know one of the things that i had listed on here fabio was the um i i tried to slim myself down to only one thing but uh the 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 targaryen changes or the the redefinition of how their faction works is like so elegant and phenomenal like i use that word a lot when i'm looking at a lot of these 21 2021 updates like seeing how the the stormcrow space works within targaryens and how everything can be altered where like when you're bringing uh, Grey Worm, you kind of get this like real feel that he's really, you know, leading a Targaryen army and not kind of doing some of the things that don't make sense within the tactics deck the way they flop those out. So like I'm I'm I'll I'll thumbs up that one too. like Targaryens. I'm super duper excited for man. You are 
you had to go and like mention the storm grows there because so I will I will be honest when I was sitting there thinking about the the answer to this question I couldn't think of a single unit or attachment or really anything that came to my mind that jumped out at me as like yeah this is this is the one because you know we evaluate everything and one of the key roles here is to really make sure that every character is that character you know from your your greatest Jamie Lannister to your your tiniest Shira Errol and it's every one of them needs to feel like that character but i feel that that that's actually probably if this is going to be defined as a success or failure i would like the merit of that to be based on the the faction identities very much like you said brian because that was one of the primary goals was making sure that every aspect of the faction felt like the faction. And that's one of the, the key things, like especially when we're evaluating like commander tactics, because this is a trickle down effect of that is when you're playing a commander, you need to know, like you, you look at their cards, you look at their attachments, you see like, OK, here's a defined play style. This is what this guy does. And is that attractive to me or not? You know, with Jamie Lannister, the new the new version, you look at him and you go, OK, Jamie here is the rock star of the battlefield. It's all about his unit, his buffs, what he is contributing. And that appeals to me as a player. This is Tywin. OK, he is going to rule through fear and intimidation and just making sure that whatever you want to do, I'm going to say no. And because I'm better than you, that's how it's going to be. You know, that's the each one of these should invoke a different feeling and a different play style. I like playing Lannister control. I also like killing things a whole lot. Well, guess what? The mountain is perfect for me in this case. You know, that was something I can look at and go like, man, this resonates with me. And that's not just from the commanders. That's from the factions to the individual characters, because, you know, that's the primary thing here. You know, this could be, you know, the system works for most anything, but this is a song of ice and fire. This is about the characters, you know, the people have been with for, you know, in some cases, the last 20 years, you know, and for some people, this is their like, this is their series. This is the thing that has been persistent in their lifetime. And, you know, they have, you know, a connection with this character, these characters and these and this setting. So, you know, making sure that that was done justice. You know, that is that is the primary thing for me. Now, going back to what I said about units said Stormcrows. You know, I remember back when the Targaryens were initially being made because the Stormcrows were made at the same time as them. Stormcrows were designed to be a generic kind of neutral unit. That's why they literally have like generic stats across the board and adaptive. But the question came up of like, okay, are these guys going to be Targaryens? And initially they were going to have two versions. And I still remember the conversation there was like, no, we're just going to make them neutrals because I don't see a huge point in making them dual faction because you can just take them in Targaryens. Yes, that's eating up toward your neutral limit, but I mean, they're still like, you can still do that. And then we released the army and everything. And one of the major, uh, I'll say, complaints about that time is like, well, they've got no cheap units. It's like, well, what about the neutral Stormcrows? Like, and the the neutrals in general that exist. Well, I only like playing pure Targaryens. I don't want to play any neutrals. Okay. I, I still have a bit of a hard time accepting that mentality because I, I get it that you want your, 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 your self-imposed fluff restrictions that you have so in your Michael, head the going. The cards are a different color. Come on. You can't just do, you can't mix different color cards. Uh, unit cards. Uh, <laughs> honestly, that's what it breaks down to me is like, it's like, is this purple card really that important to you? And it turns out, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, do I get it? I I under I I I will say I understand it. I'm not saying that like I get it, get it. 
But regardless, it's not about if I like it or if I get it, unless it comes down to like game balance or something. But in this case, this is something the fans wanted. So that's why we did both. So now you have Dario Naharas and his Stormcrows as a Targaryen unit. So you can have now granted when it came down to Dario, there actually is a, a, a change in difference in how he plays because of the way that Targaryen shaped up. But frankly, before that, uh, before the fourth tactics card idea was rolled into the faction, it was just a palette swap, like literally just a, a brown to purple palette swap. But that made such a difference to people that, you know, that, that I, I still view that as the single largest non change that has had an impact on anything out there. I think the the biggest the biggest thing about that, not to interrupt, but um, I I can now make my Grey Worm Dario Naharis buddy cop list and still be able to bring tons of like random neutral attachments and and Varus as an NCU. So Michael, on the behalf of the entirety of the Targaryen community, we we applaud you. So I'll I'll add to that because we noticed that through playtesting. Even if you do allow entire um, Storm Targaryen Stormcrows armies to exist, people still don't take more than half of your points in Stormcrows. Really, the only mechanical difference is what Brian said, that now you could take basically a, a Targaryen list where you have um, 50% of other neutral units. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really a small mechanical change. And the, the flavor benefits apparently were uh, amazing. And it's something that our playtest it, it, our playtesters liked it. We liked it. Um, people had complained about this. And it's something that we can now easily fix. So, yeah. And the interesting thing is, because I know this will get brought up, you can use the neutral Dario on the Targaryen basic deck right so you don't you can choose not to have that fourth card mm -hmm. yeah man i think the targaryens are really compelling the that fourth tactics card i just can't believe how much that adds it's like that extra flavor and and making it really about the commanders i've been over this year i've been kind of painting up all my targaryens and and i'm gonna be able to hit the table with a fully painted force here and uh it's been really hard for me just being like what do, what am i gonna play now I, obviously free folk uh, but I've got this, you know, the great joy. There's a Targaryen. There's so many great houses. And uh, it's like having too many options, too many good things. But for me, I think the biggest change that I'm excited for are the Free Folk Raiders. Because no northern man is cowardly. But disorganized, I could, I could see disorganized. So for me, when I was flipping through, that was the biggest surprise to me and something that I, I, uh, I was really excited to see uh, from, a fluff, from a fluff side. And then also, you know, the, the unit suffers plus one wound from failing panic tests. I'm excited to get these out there and, and, and run them through their paces and, and uh, you know, see how they do. I'm going to go ahead and say just publicly on record, privately on record in all ways, shape and forms that that change is my single greatest loss, personal loss as a designer <laughs> in the history of the world forever and ever echoing into eternity. Well, I think the community is OK with it. I think we'll be it'll be uh, it'll be easily accepted this change. So sorry for your loss, but uh, our, your pain, our gain, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I really love the way the Raiders have changed, like getting getting disengaged to be one extra wound instead of two really helps them stick in there a little bit. And uh, when I first saw that that update on the wording, Chase was the first thing that popped into my head. And I was like, he did it. He went no, ahead. No, no, some were just me screaming <laughs> in excitement. I was like, well, this is so cool. Um, <laughs> there was a meme that was made at one point. But anyhow, uh, um, 
And, uh, you know, so we've got all this cool open ground to cover now. We've got lots to explore. Now, Brian, you're going to be doing tons of content coming out. So make sure everyone heads on over to uh, Big Top Gaming on not only the Facebook page, but also on YouTube. And, um, you know, we're going to be putting out content as well. We're looking forward to getting some uh, some deeper dives into some of these factions, kind of going back to the stuff we did, like, way back in the beginning when we first got our starter sets for the factions and going through and exploring the units. But now what's cool is that we have like a lot of pieces to talk about all at once. So there'll be some cool, cool things we can do with that. And then, uh, you know, Fabio, Michael, you, you did it. Do you just like high five now and like ride off into the sunset? Is this, uh, is this, uh, is this the end here? Oh yeah. I mean, don't you know, like we're, we're done. Like it, factions it, done with some nine factions like, or is it just, guys, you know, it's like, a... <laughs> why are you still here? Like guys, we're done. Go, go I, home. I gotta do go. like a sound bite that we can misinterpret for, uh, for all eternity. A million oh, Martel faction purists just screamed into oh. the face. Who? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're still listening here, like, what are you doing? You're like, print out your cards. Go go get your miniatures on the table and start playing. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for, for joining us, Brian and uh, Fabio and Michael. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, thank you so much from, from not only us, but from the community for all the time, the countless hours the publicity, the communication, all the things that you've done to to get us to this point. And uh, here we go. We're, we're, we're getting ready to roll some dice. Brave New World. Yeah, there's a lot of work for you guys now, the content creators and the players. Uh, let's see. Let's see what you guys do and what 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 news and things we have to change in the future now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're excited. So everyone's rising up to, to help grow the community and, and drive things forward. And everyone who's listening, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Make sure you check out all the content creators for Song of Ice and Fire. They're all amazing. Uh, and one way you can show them your support is by liking, subscribing, or even just dropping a note to one of your favorite content creators and saying, like, hey, I really appreciate the stuff you're doing. It helps everyone get energized. And, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. So let's get out there. Let's energize the community and start dragging in some new people, too. So we're going to wrap things up there. Thanks so much for tuning in. And in the meantime, we hope you get your miniatures on the table. Mm -hmm.